Hello there and a very warm welcome to the second episode of the Frantic Football Podcast on World Football Index. Uh, this is the first proper uh, preview episode that we're doing. Of course, uh, just on Monday, we had our first full episode, which was looking back at all the games of the previous weekend. And now we'll mostly be looking ahead to the upcoming games this weekend. And uh, joining me uh, for this episode, we have Ben Griffiths. Hello, Ben. Hey, Neil. How's it going? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Doing well. Lovely. We, we, we were also supposed to have Rafael, but uh, unfortunately, he had uh, to attend to some other stuff last minute. So it'll just be the two of us. But that's not going to be a problem because we've got tons of games, tons of stuff to look forward to, including a couple of matches uh, that just uh, end, uh, uh, from this week that just ended. And obviously, tons of stuff uh, in the weekend, including some big matches in Europe, in the big leagues, a couple of international tournaments uh, starting off or uh, hitting their knockout stages. And at the end, uh, we'll also talk some transfers because the window, the transfer window is open. So, yep, it should be a busy episode again. Uh, and we'll get into things right after this. All right. Uh, so as we record this, uh, it's it's Friday evening, and we both watched a brilliant match of football uh, in the AFF Championship final, or uh, well, at least the first leg of it uh, between Vietnam and Thailand, who are well, it's safe to say two teams who don't like each other that much anyway, but now they were competing for a trophy. So it ended two-two uh, in the first leg, which means it's all to play for uh, in the second leg which I believe is on Monday. Uh, uh, so yeah, Ben, let, let's hear from you. What, what did you see in this match? Yeah, definitely. It was, uh, it seemed like it was a game of two halves with the first half. So Vietnam did score early. Um, they did get out and score in the 24th minute. That was a, a brilliant cross for a stooping header. Uh, and then a lot of the first half was not nearly as exciting as the second half. Uh, right after halftime, Thailand came out. They wanted to take that game uh, they scored very quickly um, right away in the 48th minute. That was a Pomeret Avjari goal. This was, it was a very exciting goal, m- kind of made by a really brilliant pass by Tiraton Bumatan, who is uh, just such a creative player. He's playing in center midfield, but he could pretty much play everywhere. He was roaming around this whole tournament. He's been roaming around uh, a brilliant pass over the lines of Vietnam's defense which um, had a little bit of a, of a blip. There were almost two lines. Uh, and so Pormoret was able to get in behind without necessarily timing his run. Uh, so he was able to just start sprinting, get on the ball first and slot it back home. Then they scored again. And actually, I want to go back and say, this was the first goal that Vietnam has conceded the entire competition. Six games leading up to this, they hadn't conceded at all. It was crazy. Uh, and they came out first half, no concession. And I was like, oh, wow. Before the game, I thought Thailand should score because they're just too creative, too lethal in pretty much every single position um, front to back. Uh, but against Vietnam, you, you never know. Um, 
they did concede one goal and then they conceded another one in the 63rd minute. So they kind of came back to back after not conceding for so long. They did concede two. Uh, that was, again, another brilliant pass by Tiraton. Um, and then, then it got frantic. Uh, perfect name for the game for our podcast, too. And Vietnam scored an 80th minute equalizer off of a corner. Uh, through, I would say, probably more traffic than you'd see in Los Angeles. It was, I'm not sure, I'd have to go back and watch that goal to see how many players between the Vietnam player who scored, uh, which is Vu Von Tan, to get past, I think there were six or seven of his own players as well as six or seven Thailand players. So really interesting game. We're looking forward to the second leg. Uh, This is what we want for a two-legged final, right? We want it to be a, a feisty competition between two rivals. We want it to be a feisty match that has everything to play for. No one's behind. So it's two, two going in to play in Thailand. Uh, it's, it's good, really going to be a great match. I think everyone should watch that, but yeah, I think that's on Monday. Yeah. And uh, we should say that I do believe uh, they do have away goals uh, in the AFF championship. So mm-hmm. slight advantage probably uh, goes to Thailand. Obviously they'll be playing at home uh, in the second leg. As you said, that's on Monday, so we'll be looking forward to that game. Uh, but uh, let's, let's move on, and but let's stay in Asia, uh, because I'd say the big story of the week uh, came in the, in the Gulf Cup, uh, where uh, Saudi Arabia were eliminated. Now, of course, uh, mo- most listeners will remember Saudi Arabia from the World Cup, uh, as they beat Argentina, who eventually went on to win the whole thing. But, but, but this wasn't exactly that Saudi Arabia. Uh, Tell us a bit about them in this tournament, Ben, and and what happened, basically. Yeah, so this isn't the Saudi Arabia from the World Cup. They have, um, if I'm not mistaken, zero World Cup squad members in this squad. This is very much a B team. Uh, It's also managed not by Erfa Renard. It's managed by their U23 manager. So it's as close to a, a B team or like a Saudi Arabia A side that you could get without nominally being one. Um, so it wasn't necessarily like, oh, they, they just came off pretty decent World Cup. Maybe they should be the favorites. There were definitely a lot of questions uh, that, that you could put to them and that were put to them. And so they did beat Yemen in the first game 2-0. However, Yemen lost all three of their games. They only scored two goals over three games and conceded 10. Uh, so it, it wasn't necessarily like, oh, this is such a great victory. It was very much a, a uh, expected victory. And then they went on to lose to Iraq. And then they went on to lose to an 84th minute winner to Oman, or an 84th minute loser, should we say, for Saudi Arabia. Uh, that was honestly such a great strike. Uh, it was scored by Harib al Saudi. Um, and the, the scenes afterwards, you can go find them on Twitter. The scenes after for the players, the fans, everyone was going wild because um, they just beat Saudi Arabia, which, regardless of if they're playing a B team or, or their A team or the senior team, it's still in that region, very good victory. Yeah, and we should say that that was a must-win game for Saudi Arabia, the one against Oman, because after losing yes, exactly. to Iraq, so you know, even though they were, I think they conceded first as well, so they were actually never in a position to make it to the knockouts after their loss against Iraq, which, by the way, was in like almost unprecedented playing conditions in basically a waterlogged <laughs> pitch uh, in uh, Iraq uh, because there was rain here in the Middle East. Uh, at the time. So yeah, uh, that's, I think, as we're recording this, uh, the other group uh, is playing its two final games. I think as it stands, Bahrain and Qatar uh, will be joining uh, the two teams in the semifinals. Uh, so as it stands, we'll have uh, Iraq versus Qatar 
and Oman versus Bahrain in the semis. But of course, that may change by the time we finish recording this, even let alone by the time this goes out. But yep, another uh, another international tournament uh, to look out for. Uh, th- th- those matches will also be next week. So we will probably also mention them when we're back on Monday. But yep, two, two great tournaments going on in Asia. Uh, but now let's move on straight over to Europe, where there were tons of cup ties as well in midweek. We don't really want to get into too many of them, but you know how I love cup sets. So I'll just mention a few cup sets. Well, the big one I think everyone knows was uh, Southampton beating Manchester City, uh, which Southampton have now won more cup games than league games. And this was also Pep Guardiola's first uh, domestic quarterfinal loss. So a shock result. And also I think it was the first time in like uh, four or five years that Manchester City didn't even register a shot on target in a competitive match. Uh, then elsewhere uh, in Italy, the Coppa Italia is one of my least favorite cup competitions because of its format, because they parachute the eight best teams straight in the round of 16. So we don't have that much of a scope for cup sets. But, but there was one because uh, Torino uh, beat Milan in extra time after going down to 10 men in the 70th minute. Uh, so that was a great result for them. But the biggest cup sets by far uh, came in the Netherlands where a couple of amateur or semi-professional teams from the third tier uh, beat Eredivisie sides um, on, I believe it was uh, Tuesday night. Uh, sorry, on Wednesday night, uh, the Treffers uh, beat Kambur 1-0. Uh, and then yesterday night, on Thursday night, SV uh, Spakenburg were away at, at uh, FC Groningen. And, and they won uh, 3-2. They scored their three goals first. Uh, Groningen uh, scored twice late on, but... They couldn't do enough to mount a comeback. So those were some incredible results. Uh, and I think I, th- I just want to mention, tangentially related to this, that this is the last season uh, of uh, the third tier in the Netherlands, which is called the Tweede Divisie, where they have uh, stopped rele- uh, promotions uh, to the second tier of, because I believe they only restarted the tier seven years ago. Uh, because of all the professionalization, semi-professionalization, all those sort of issues. But from next season, promotions will be back. So third-tier teams will be able, uh, well, at least a couple of them will be able to go back up in the pyramid. So it's it's an exciting time for these teams uh, in, in Dutch football. And yeah, that's about it, I'd say. That's most of uh, the week's games. Of course, this is a preview episode, so we're not giving too much time to those. Uh, and Instead, let's move on to what's happening in midweek. Uh, sorry, in the weekend. Uh, the first game I want to talk about uh, is in Portugal. Uh, it's Benfica versus uh, Sporting, which is, of course, a Lisbon derby. Uh, the derby de Lisboa is what they call it. Uh, I think most of us have seen Benfica this season, uh, certainly because of their uh, Champions League exploits. They were unbeaten in a group with uh, PSG and Juventus. And they're also having a great time of it in the league. Their first, I uh, believe, six points clear at the top. And they were unbeaten uh, until their last match of 2022 uh, when they lost 3-0 to Braga, so pretty heavily. Uh, but but still, they have a six-point uh, gap at the top. And of course, they're searching for their first league title since 2019. Uh, of course, Roger Schmidt took charge this summer and well, clearly he's doing a great job of it. They're playing some wonderful football, really fun to watch, you know, high pressing, great possession play. They break down low blocks really well. Of course, they've got some amazing players, not least Enzo Fernandez, who everyone's heard of, but 
as many others do. Gonzalo Ramos, who of course started the World Cup, uh, João Mario, uh, Frederick Ausner, there, there, there's many. Uh, and of course, they're, they're up against their local rivals Sporting, who are 12 points behind them in the table, not having the best of seasons, uh, obviously, as you might guess from that. Uh, they, they also were eliminated uh, in the last minute uh, of the of the Air Champions League group uh, when they lost uh, to, I think it was Marseille, which saw them uh, drop into the, was it the Europa League? Um, yeah, I think so. That was a very tight. There's something that's to do with Tottenham as well. Group, yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, it was, um, I believe that the right term would be mental finish for that <laughs> entire group. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I do not remember whatever happened then because my memory is completely hazy after the World that Cup. That was pre-World Cup. Yeah, exactly. Cup. So it doesn't <laughs> exist. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, so Sporting are fourth, uh, 12 points behind Braga, uh, Benfica, sorry. Uh, not having the best of seasons, as I said. They will want to get back to winning ways uh, because they lost their last league game against uh, Maritimo, which ended something like a uh, five or six match winning run uh, in, in, in all competitions, that is. So, yeah, important game for them, but certainly they're not the favorites. But nonetheless, it should be a very, very interesting game. Uh, that is, I believe, on Sunday uh, at e- uh, 6 p.m. UK time, if I'm not wrong, in the evening. So that's only one to watch. And if you haven't been watching Benfica this season, then this is the perfect time to do that. Uh, but but elsewhere, we've got many other games which we'll be uh, discussing. Uh, let's, start, let's start in England, where there's a couple of huge derbies uh, in the Premier League. Of course, the first is the Manchester Derby uh, tomorrow on Saturday uh, between Manchester United and Manchester City. Uh, City, of course, second, but behind uh, Arsenal in, in the title race, although they were favourites pre-season. They're five points off the lead. And United, rather perhaps surprisingly, only four points behind them. So it, it really is a must-win game for City. Uh, well, as almost all are at this point, some might say. But of course, we're only about halfway through the season or not even there yet. So a long way to go still, but a huge, huge Manchester derby for sure. And then the very next day on uh, Sunday, uh, Arsenal, the league leaders, have a, their big derby, the North London derby, uh, against Tottenham. And, well, for those of you, you who don't know, uh, unfortunately, Ben is a Tottenham fan. Uh, so, I think he, he, he might want to speak to us about this. Uh, just, I mean, I think Ben, you know, I, I don't think we need to explain what's at stake here too much. But just from a, from a fan's point of view, uh, how, how would you rate Tottenham's chances going into this one? Uh as a realistic fan, um, not highly, as uh, as an unrealistic fan, which I think most of us are, uh, I would say maybe we'd hope for a draw. I would love a win. I think it is it's possible we're playing at home. So this game, Harry Kane, I, I forget. I saw a statistic of how many times that he's failed to score against Arsenal in his career, and I think it's like three or four times maximum. So I, I would, even if he's not playing well he's going to score that that's my feeling uh it's a matter of how many do we concede and it's tottenham so i would say at least two or three against arsenal i'd say at least two or three and that's our issue is that we're probably not going to score a ton because uh because we don't we're not in a great run of form obviously for the past probably several months um dejan kulisefti might be back but if decky isn't back we're not going to be able to really uh, create anything honestly because i think the betting core is still out um Hishar-Lison is still out so we're pretty much reliant on Sun and Kane. 
um, and Sun hasn't been playing well. And then uh, Brian Heal has been playing extremely well. It's just a matter of is Conte going to continue trusting him? I think he should if Decky can't start. But yeah, I think obviously there's so much at stake um, for our season. Part of me hopes that we lose, that it makes uh, Daniel Levy finally pull the, uh, the plug on, on some transfer. We, I think Pedro Poro has been rumored uh, that would be uh, I can't stress how necessary that would be um, to our chances of of top four and just any sort of creative midfielder or, or big burly defender that can help us. That you know, it was, it was almost like the the Manchester United game a couple of years ago. They got Conte hired um, by getting Nuno fired. It, it's one of those things. I'm hoping that something happens after this match from a fan's perspective. Yeah, and speaking of Pedro Porro for uh, Spurs fans, uh, he'll be playing against Benfica, of course, in the game we mentioned. So, another reason to be watching that. Uh, but moving on, we'll stay in England, but we'll move over to the Women's Super League, which is going to be back after its uh, winter break. And there's a huge, huge game there, uh, also on Sunday, uh, in the early kickoff between uh, the top two, who are Arsenal and Chelsea. So, it's a London derby with a title race twist because these two are once again uh, at it, uh, going against each other mainly uh, for the league title, although Manchester United are there and thereabouts, you might say, but Chelsea currently first on 27 points from 10 games, and Arsenal are currently second with 24 points from 9 games. So, effectively, you might say the level on points, but of course, our games in hand are obviously not wins, so you can't guarantee that, but basically, two teams are very close. Uh, Of course, Chelsea just about uh, won the title uh, last season by only a point. And it looks like we're having another very, very tight uh, title race in the Super League. And this could easily be a turning point, of course. So, a huge, huge game. I think that's uh, noon UK time on Sunday. So, it's before most of uh, the major men's matches. So, I'd say be sure to watch that. That's a huge game. Uh, Let's move on. Uh, Let's move on to uh, Italy. There's a big game tonight, on Friday night, actually. Again, it's the top two. It's Juventus uh, versus Napoli. We, we did mention Juventus uh, in the previous episode on Monday because I believe they made it eight consecutive league wins with eight consecutive clean sheets to move up to second place after Milan dropped points. Uh, so they're level on points still with Milan on 37 points. Uh, Napoli first uh, on 44 points, so seven-point gap there. But Napoli did suffer their first defeat of the season uh, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, or, or rather... Uh, just a week and a half ago, when uh, they lost to Inter uh, on, on Serie A's return uh, in the new year. So, this could also be a pivotal point in the title race. If Napoli win, they're at least going to maintain their gap, if not extend it. So, their quest for uh, their first uh, Serie A title since... Well, how many years is it? Uh, their first Serie A title since 1990. Yeah, long, long time. So... A big game for them uh, tonight on Friday night. Then let's have another big game. Let's move to Belgium, where we've got Anderlecht uh, versus Club Brugge in, in what they call the Klassiker, uh, which is, you, 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 get, you get what that is. That's basically the country's two biggest teams playing against each other. But this season, neither of them are as close to the top of the table as they'd like to be. Uh, Ben's been following them. Uh, so tell us, Ben, what's what's going on there? Yeah, so so Club Bruja just, they hired Scott Parker uh, before, ahead of the last game, which then they lost um, 
we rose to what Hank, right? So yeah, yeah. they, yeah, they lost their first game. I think it was three one. So it wasn't um, even all that close on a score line. Uh, basically these two teams are historically the biggest teams. Of course, um, underlife is definitely uh, the biggest team by the trophy halls and especially in Europe too. Uh, historically back in the seventies, I think was, was their main time and they've been good for so long, but for the past probably five years, probably since 2017 or 2018, they've been um, shambles or chaos. One of those is the right words. It's really been uh, a sight to see that it's truly a fallen giant. And for a team like Honor, like they haven't been relegated, of course. They've pretty much been going from winning the title every year to going mid-table. Um, that was probably about five years ago. And Vincent Company papered over those cracks. And it was almost like a Band-Aid for about two seasons that he was in charge Um that it looks like it hid a lot of the issues that um, that maybe the the running of the club, the management or something like that uh, above the team, because they are, it seems like they're in financial woes right now. They hired uh, Felice Matsu after company left for Burnley. That didn't go well. The fans have at, in at least one league match that against uh, standard Liège, another rival, they, they, I think they burnt like a trash can in the middle of the field or something. Yeah. Um, and so that was a, that game was stopped and awarded to to Standard, of course. Uh, and then there was a friendly, I believe, uh, right after the World Cup that they did the same. Um, that they, I think they had to stop a friendly. There were fireworks or something. The fans are not happy. This is a massive club that has completely fallen off of its rails. Um, and we can't really compare that to Club Bruja, but we could say that they're obviously one of the better teams of the past couple of years after Andalucca has fallen. And in club now, this season has had a pretty good start to then not necessarily continue that. Uh, that of course then brought Scott Parker in um, very recently. Uh, and then one key point to this match would be Farah Nukla is out injured. It looks like he got a knee injury, so he is. Um, I believe he's definitely out for this game. Uh, he's been a revelation this season. He was probably my one pick of if you haven't heard of him or at least seen him play to definitely watch this because uh, everyone wants to step up against Anderlecht and everyone wants to step up against Club Bruges. So uh, he's out. So that will be a, a key point. I think um, overall it should be on paper, maybe evenly matched, but you never know really what's going to happen. Anderlecht could very easily and quickly uh, concede three or four, I think. Yeah, uh, and as you said, of course, this is uh, going to be Scott Parker's second game in charge uh, after the loss to Gang, so he'll be looking for his first win. Uh, and yeah, I'd just like to mention one more thing, which is that uh, Club Brugge, this season itself, in the Champions League, they had their best ever group stage campaign. But again, that was before the World Cup, it seems, ages ago. But I think that just goes to show how, how quickly a season can change because they, they were having those great times. Uh, but then they sacked Karl Hofkens. Of course, uh, Parker took over last week as we spoke. Uh, and yeah, now, now they're 15 points off the top of the table. But of course, we should also mention, and we did mention this on Monday too, uh, the Belgian Pro League format is such that the top four qualify uh, for the championship playoff. And then they all, they all play each other home and away, but their points are halved before they start doing that. So really, if, you, if you're in the top four, you've got a chance. Uh, Club Bruja, they are currently underlecht 11 points away. So if, if they have any plans of getting back up there, they need to start winning games. Uh, right. Let's move along. Uh, where shall we head next? Let's go to Spain. Yeah, let's let's mention a couple of games there. Of course, uh, one is the Spanish Super Cup, which isn't actually in Spain. It's in Saudi Arabia. Uh, the final will be played 
on Sunday. And of course, it's got Real Madrid versus Barcelona. First El Clasico of 2023. Probably everyone's going to watch that. So, yeah, I don't need to tell you about that. But but over in La Liga, we've got uh, Real Sociedad uh, versus Athletic Club, which is probably the biggest league game uh, of the weekend. Uh, Sociedad, of course, really, really impressive this season. They're up in third. Only six points behind Real Madrid. Uh, really fun team. Great to watch. And Athletic Club as well. They, they are seven, six points behind Sociedad. But again, really fun team. Playing some beautiful stuff under Ernesto Valverde on their day. So this, this should be a really interesting match. Uh, this is going to be on Saturday night. I think 8pm UK time. So if you get the chance, then be sure to watch this as well. Uh, because, well, it's, it's the weekend where perhaps the lesser known or certainly the non-top two La Liga teams can take center stage and these two will be keen uh, to impress. All right, a uh, quick word on uh, Rennes versus PSG in France uh, because that should be another big game. Of course, PSG firmly the title favorites. Uh, first, of course, with I think like a six-point gap at the top. Uh, Rennes are a far way off them. So Lens are second. Impressively, uh, then there's Marseille, and then Ren are fourth, uh, 13 points off, but but they will be keen uh, to at least challenge for the Champions League spots, and of course they're five points behind Marseille in third, so it's it's an important game for uh, them too, and and I think they've been pretty impressive uh, since uh, the the World Cup break, but they did lose uh, to Clermont Foot uh, in midweek, so that should be another interesting game to watch, and, and oh yeah, I, I, I'd also like to mention uh, Nice. Uh, because they had a change in manager, as we said, on Monday. Uh, so, in midweek, they had their first game uh, since uh, sacking Lucien Favre with uh, interim manager Didier Digard uh, taking charge for his first match. Uh, they won 6-1 against Montpellier. Huge win. Uh, great start for any new manager, even if interim. Uh, so, they'll be taking on uh, Stad Rams next, who are managed by uh, Will Still, the youngest manager in the top five leagues currently. Uh, Englishman, half Belgian, half English. Really interesting guy. Uh, so that's that should be another interesting game to follow. Uh, in France, and that's also on Sunday. Uh, I think 2 p.m. UK time. So th- those are some some of the big games. Uh, in France uh, and in Europe. Last uh, tournament I want to talk about is the African Nations Championship, which kicks off uh, tonight on Friday night as we speak. Uh, I think just a few hours to go. Uh, this this will be held uh, in Algeria, and this is basically uh, the African version of uh, what in Concacaf they have the Gold Cup, I believe. Is that right, Ben? Yeah, yeah, we do have the the Gold Cup, and I'm not sure if the Gold Cup has the same like unique restrictions. Oh, okay. I could be I could be wrong about that, but it's it's yeah, it's like um this is like a sec a second uh almost like a second tier uh, for for Africa's uh, tournaments. Right, yeah. So, of course, uh, the restrictions you mentioned uh, for uh, the African Nations Championship are that only players from domestic leagues are allowed uh, to participate uh, for each for each of their nations. So, you, you won't be seeing the big names. You, you won't be seeing your Salahs and Marises and all of them. And most likely, you'll be seeing players you haven't really watched a lot of. But, but that doesn't mean you won't be seeing good players because, of course, uh, there's, there's tons of talents out there in Africa. And this tournament this very tournament in fact is an opportunity for many of them to impress and many uh, have gotten moves to Europe on the back of impressive performances here including uh, Yibisuma who's at Tottenham uh, and there's uh, there's lots of others too I think 
I saw a nice thread about that on Twitter, but I forgot from whom. I, I'll, I'll link that uh, below the tweet of this podcast. And yeah, speaking of that, uh, we've, we've also got a nice article up on the site about the tournament and basically explaining it in more greater detail. So do uh, be sure to go to the site, worldfootballindex.com uh, and read that. And yeah, final thing I'd like to mention about this is that there is a bit of, uh, well, h- how do I put it? There's some controversy, some drama before the ball's even being kicked. Because of course, uh, this tournament is in Algeria. Uh, they're hosting it. And their uh, near neighbors, Morocco, are of course participating. But they have been unable to travel. And uh, their federation has put out a statement to that effect. Because I believe since the last two years, uh, Moroccan aircrafts have not been allowed in Algerian airspace and Morocco have been well at least they want to travel in on in one of their own uh, like a Moroccan aircraft chartered plane or something whatever it is but they basically want to travel directly uh, from Morocco to Algeria but Algeria or the tournament organizer are requesting them to take a stopover somewhere and change their flight and fly in but uh, apparently they're not uh, planning to do that so as it stands Morocco, whose first game is, I think, is of course, Algeria kicking off uh, today night on Friday night against Libya. I think Morocco still have a couple of days before they play. But as it stands, uh, they will not be able to face uh, Sudan on Sunday. Uh, so, well, that, that, that would be quite interesting to see how that develops. Uh, certainly another example of how international tournaments have geopolitical uh, consequences as well. So that, that's that's another thing for us to look forward to this weekend, uh, the African Nations Championship. Uh, and I think that's about it. That's that's most of this weekend's matches covered. Of course, there's tons and tons more, which we haven't mentioned. But but if there's any big, big results, big stories, we'll be sure to cover them uh, on Monday in our uh, review episode. But of course, this episode, we've still got to talk about transfers. So we'll be doing that in a moment. Right, uh, as promised, let's start talking transfers now. But hold on, before that, there was one thing I forgot to mention. Uh, I apologize. It's the Chinese Cup Final, uh, which is also this weekend on Sunday. Uh, That finally will mark the end of what was supposed to be their 2022 season. We might mention a bit more about that uh, on Monday. But this is just to say that we've also got the Chinese Cup Final uh, on Sunday. So yeah, with that said, let's move on. Let's move to some transfer news, uh, some done deals, some rumors, all sorts of stuff. Uh, Right, I want to start with one rumor and one done deal, or one almost done deal and one done deal, which is uh, Andreas Schelderup and Kasper Tengstedt, both to Benfica. Uh, uh, Schelderup's move has been confirmed. I believe the rumored fee is like uh, 10 million euros plus add-ons. This guy is... A really, really exciting player. Of course, he plays for he or well, he used to play for FC Nordseland, who we mentioned briefly last week. They're the leaders in the Danish Superliga and a club really famed for its youth academies and its talent uh, development. So, the fact that Schellerup is coming from that club is a big deal in itself, and he, he's he's really an exceptional player. He's been one of the standouts, I'd say, in the Superliga for the last two years and. Mind you, he's only 18 right now. So, yeah, I mean, you know, 
he's I'd say he's destined for the very top. I think what what this season he has like ten goals in seventeen games in the Danish Superliga. So this guy's an amazing talent. Basically, moving to Benfica, I think is perfect for him because it's it's very much that sort of stepping stone sort of club before reaching the very elite level. Of course, as we know, Benfica very much in a title race, uh, leading a title race in a top seven league, which is impressive enough. And of course, uh, challenging in the Champions League too. So they're at a really high level. And I, I don't think Sheldrup should have any issues adapting to that. And probably he won't directly drop into a starting role. Uh, but of course, he, he'll be competing most likely for the left wing spot, uh, which is his favorite position. And I expect him to at least feature uh, off the bench or maybe as a rotation option, at least this season. Uh, so yeah, I'm very, very excited to see how this move goes. And uh, so so too for Kasper Tankstead, who's, who's moved now twice in the space of uh, two windows uh, because he, he only joined Rosenberg in the summer of 2022, which is midway through the season in Norway. Uh, he joined from Horsens in Denmark. Uh, and well, what can I say? He, 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 he landed and he blew things up there because he got like 15 goals in 14 games uh, in the league, so, uh, in all competitions, sorry. So scoring more uh, than a goal per game. Uh, and that made him the league's uh, second top scorer even though he only played half the season. So, I mean, what, what more can I say? That, that's a proper striker right there. Um, he will also be, well, I, I'm not sure if it's a done deal or all but done, but he's, he's going to be at Benfica basically now. Uh, so, that's another brilliant move. 22 years old, uh, Danish striker is Kasper Tankstead. Uh, so he'll probably be challenging for uh, the the striker role, of course, in Benfica's 4-2-3-1 against uh, Gonzalo Ramos, probably. So again, I don't expect him to start immediately. But of course, there's many uh, transfer rumors surrounding Ramos. So if Ramos does leave, then Tankstead might have an even more important role to play. But certainly, uh, at 22, he's got a really bright future. So yeah, another lovely, lovely player. Uh, getting a lovely move. And, well, there's been, in fact, lots of moves uh, since, uh, well, a couple of windows now from the Scandinavian leagues to these big European clubs. I think I think Ben uh, has something to say about that. Yeah, it's, it's really been nice to see because uh, I think Denmark, especially being uh, maybe the best of the, of the three, if you call it Denmark, Norway, and Sweden, uh, of the leagues, um, and also specifically playing in the same type of calendar that most of the big European leagues play in does help a little bit, but Norway and the, the, the elite Assyrian in Norway and also in, in Sweden have recently started uh, sending more and more players um, out to these bigger clubs uh, further down on the continent into the top seven leagues. It's really been fun to see. Um, I know in, in Ten, Tengstedt, so he started, I think he was at, um, he was Michelin's Academy and then moved to Horsens. Horsens in the second division, I believe, the second tier, I should say, the second tier of Denmark before he moved to Rosenborg. Did I mean you said he he landed? I don't think he landed, he just kept flying. Um, and now he's at Benfica. So honestly, it should be really fun to see the two of them. We've seen more and more clubs. Uh, uh Brentford, I think, is the biggest one. And you do have to caveat that with being pretty much owned by this the same group that owns Michelin. So there's obviously that connection. However, even without that, you see um I mean, Christopher Iyer was at Celtic and now he's at Brentford. I mean, you see a lot more uh 
Scandinavian players and also players from the leagues moving uh, to bigger and better leagues. It's really been great to see because there's so much talent there and there's talent from all over the world. It's not just Danish players playing in the Superliga. It's not just Norwegian players playing in Elite Serie. And there really are, there's a huge global connection. So it's, it's a melting pot for young, talented players that I think more and more top five clubs even are going to be looking at and, and taking the plunge into those those players. Yes, certainly a market of great potential. I, I'd just like to apologize to any Norwegian listeners because Ben, you said the Elite Serien and they hit that. Because yeah, yeah, Elite Serien. It's like Major League Soccer. Is... So, yeah. Um, yeah, but, yeah. Elite Serien. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, let, let's, let's move on uh, to one of the big European leagues, um, at least in the mainland, where there's perhaps a little, a bit of, at least a move that caught me off guard, uh, which is uh, Raphael Holzhauser uh, going on loan to uh, the anglicized name is 1860 Munich, um, which is a surprise to me because Holzhauser is one of, or at least was one of my favorite players in the Belgian Pro League. He's he, he's very much uh, one of a part of that dying breed of the creative number 10 who does little apart from creating chances and stuff when they're on the ball, but when they're on the ball, they're just unbelievable to watch. So, I mean, honestly, I'm not too sure what's gone on there, but to drop from the Pro League uh, straight down to the third tier of German, German football, even though, of course, uh, the club he's moved to a really big club, still, at the end of the day, they're in the third tier and he's gone from a top flight to a third tier. And even more surprising is the fact that he only joined Leuven uh, last summer, after his previous team, Bearscott, got relegated from the Pro League. So, I, I'm honestly not too sure what's going on there. If any listeners uh, are aware, then do let me know. Uh, do send in a tweet or something. But yeah, that was just a transfer I wanted to mention because I, it surprised me. But yeah, l- let's go back to our, uh, well, our bread and butter, let's say, uh, which is exciting transfers uh, in the lesser-known clubs. And one of those that was completed uh, just couple of days ago was Garan Kual, who only joined Newcastle United uh, from Central Coast Mariners uh, on the 1st of January after turning 18 in the first window available. Uh, of course, it, it, I think it was pretty clear from the start that he was not going to go straight into the Premier League and that's completely completely sensible. But but he's, he's not moving out of the UK because he's going over to Scotland uh, to Hearts in what is really interesting uh, a, a, of course, a lone move, but a really, really interesting move nonetheless. Uh, what are your thoughts on this, Ben? Yeah, uh, Garansky, I think is what they call him in Australia, um, term of endearment. So he's 18 and he is electric. Uh, I think that would even be downplaying it. He So he made the World Cup squad without having started a senior match. Just let that sink in. That, I'm pretty sure that, that that was correct. He's started his first senior match for, for the Mariners after the World Cup which is um, you might hear that and say, oh, wow, he's just was brought along to develop. And that's not the case in the slightest bit. He has played 1,100 minutes in his senior career. He has scored eight goals. He's made three assists. He is a nuisance. Every single time he comes onto the pitch, he is um, exciting. Every time he gets the ball, he is dangerous. He will, uh, he'll make runs. He'll, he'll be able to create four hearts. He's, able to slot into they have three other Australians which is uh only going to help him settle into to an entirely new continent as he's moving there so young um and moving up 
uh, from playing, you know, youth youth football up to playing for the Mariners up to playing in the World Cup to then going to Hearts. It's been a really interesting development. But uh, yeah, he is uh, lightning, and I think all of the hype around him that you've heard is, in my opinion, it is correct. Uh, and I'm really excited to see how he how he plays with consistent starts. If he can get consistent starts and show uh, his quality that he's shown in his sub appearances. Uh, remember, he almost I think he almost sent Argentina out uh, of the World Cup for one goal. Like literally, we would have had a completely different view of this entire World Cup had he scored. And it was so close too because he he's that player. He can get on the ball in the dying minutes when you think no other player can, and he can create something. He can make he can make an assist or he can make a goal. It's uh, it's very exciting to watch, and I think that uh, really, if you have any passing interest in Scottish football, you should definitely tune into some Hearts games coming up. Um, I don't know enough about Hearts to know if he'll start right away or if he will uh, come off the bench a little bit. But I think that's going to be fun to watch. the The more minutes he gets, the the better he's going to get, and it's going to he's going to come into Newcastle in a year, year and a half, I think, and and just light up the league. Yeah, and of course, Hearts uh, uh, are they're not even like a lower table league in Scotland. They're currently third. They did qualify for Europe at the end of last season. So at the end of like the step up from the Central Coast Miners to Hearts is nonetheless significantly big, even though of course Newcastle is another level. So I'm quite interested to see how it goes. I completely agree with what what Ben said. I would go as far as saying he's probably the best talent that's come out of Australia in the last 10 years is what I can comment on. So really, really exciting player and certainly a transfer to watch. Uh, let's move on to a couple other ones. Uh, not so many young players, but interesting moves. Uh, nonetheless, good business. Uh, one I saw was uh, Laszlo Klein, Kleinheiser uh, to Panathinaikos. Of course, we mentioned Panathinaikos uh, on Monday uh, because they lost their first match of the season in an Athenian derby against IK. But while they remain first, they're still challenging for the title. And it's moves like this which can get you titles because Klein Heisler is a lovely player. I've been following him for what almost a year and a half now because I first spotted him in uh, the Euros uh, when he impressed me for Hungary. Uh, and, and then, of course, he was playing in Croatia. He was playing for uh, Osijek. I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, and he's, he's had a great season so far in the league. Uh, 16 matches, 6 goals, 2 assists. Uh, he, he he plays a little, little more advanced, I think, uh, for uh, his club than he did for Hungary at the Euros. So, of course, that helps his numbers. But still, lovely player, great on the ball, uh, makes stuff happen. It's just basically fun to watch. And, yeah, I think that is a great move. I think it, he's only cost them, in terms of transfer fee, uh, something like half a million euros. So, of course the finances uh, in Greece compared to the major European leagues are significantly different, but still, I'd say that that's a pretty smart buy. Uh, so, a great move. Uh, and another great move, another great deal I saw was uh, Anders Dreyer to Anderlecht for only 4 million euros or something something around uh, around that figure, which is, again, a brilliant move for Anderlecht's point of view because I said Dreyer's worth at least a couple of that. Uh, at least twice that, sorry. So, yeah, uh, brilliant, brilliant move from uh, Anderlecht. Uh, Dreher leaves uh, Midgeland. Uh, f- uh, and, yeah, he'll probably be required to slot straight in uh, and start scoring goals because, uh, as we as we discussed earlier, Anderlecht are in quite a tight spot. So, yeah, interested to see how that goes. What else do we have on our uh, agenda? Yep, we've got one move uh, from 
the MLS. Uh, we've got uh, Enzo Copetti uh, to Charlotte FC. Uh, Enzo Copetti was uh, great uh, in Argentina last season for uh, Racing Club. I think he scored like 11 goals uh, and got four assists uh, in, in the league, in the Liga Profesional, which is only the second half of the season, really. So that's only about 27-odd uh, games. So that's an impressive return. And he'll be moving to Charlotte FC. Uh, I, I think Ben can, since he's based uh, in the US, I think he can give us a bit more context about Charlotte. Yeah, so, um, yeah, and he scored uh, 31 goals, uh, over 96 total appearances, I believe, in all, all competitive competitions for Racing Club. So it's been um, definitely talked about here. It's one of those, so he's a designated player, which basically is, and I can explain that in a second, basically he's uh, going to come in and not go on to the salary cap for MLS teams. Um, but Charlotte has, they've come up recently, I think that this is their first season last year, they are really one of the, to me, uh, looking at a lot of the MLS clubs, uh, one of the best run clubs uh, from a scouting perspective, from a media perspective, just like it's weird to call a first division professional team like a startup, but they really have that, like almost like a startup type of vibe. They're really uh, uh, connecting with the fans, connecting with the community, uh, have a great stadium that they're playing in right now. Um, everything that I see is just always, it seems like every week they get more interesting and better. Uh, and this is yet another thing. So, so he becomes a designated player. And so in the MLS, designated players are players that don't count towards the team's salary cap. So every MLS team has a salary cap, um, which some people like it, some people don't. But at the end of the day, that's the rules. You get three spots per team that uh, their wages and the transfer fee, any, any financial stuff to get a designated player doesn't count towards the cap. Uh, and so he and every team gets three. He becomes Charlotte's third. So he adds uh, to two Polish players, Karol Sviertyski, hope I pronounced that right, and then Kamil Jovicek, hope I pronounced that right, and I very much apologize because I know I did not. Um, so those are three attackers. Uh, I think you have uh, Karol Sviertyski as a striker, uh, same with Kopetti, and I think that uh, uh, Kamil is a winger. So it should be really interesting to see them. Um, I, I don't think you really see a ton of like, oh, they always put the attackers as the DPs, you do have a lot of midfielders, defenders just want to get these really good players to come in. And Copetti is that he is really going to be a physical presence. Uh, Charlotte put out a, like a press release on part of the reasons why they uh, signed him. And it wasn't just, he can score goals and he can assist too. He's gotten uh, eight assists in those 96 games, but he can score. He can assist a little bit. He's also very physical. So he's going to, I use the term nuisance a lot for players and that's what he's going to be. He really is. He's going to come into a physical league, a physically demanding league and probably be one of the better physical strikers here, I think. And it should be really interesting to watch him um, kind of develop here. He's, he's 26, so he's not super young, uh, but he's not old yet. Right. So he's just coming into his prime. I think, I, I think he's a little bit of a late bloomer. Um, and so he was playing in the, the second division in Argentina pretty recently. Uh, so I'm very excited to see how he does for a team that you can see they have a vision. Uh, they don't want to just be mid-table. They come into the league, uh, their first couple seasons are wanting to very much storm up to the very top. And I think that this is an, another great addition uh, for, for a great side. Yeah, and let's just stick with Racing Club briefly because I want to mention another move, another departure for them, which was uh, midfielder Carlos Alcaraz uh, moving to Southampton uh, for, I think, something like 14 million euros uh, plus add-ons. So, uh, a, a great week 
for their for their accounting team great week for their bank balance but yeah uh, on a serious note uh, alcaraz is a really really exciting talent he's i think 20 odd years old a central midfielder really a box to box type midfielder all action you know that sort of stuff uh, of course last season he established himself as uh, a, a regular starter uh in, because he started i think all of their uh, uh their uh, copa de la liga profesional games which is basically the first half of the season in argentina and then in the league too he started like uh, or he played in like 19 odd games so uh, a lovely move from southampton's point of view who are doing some great transfers uh, this window because they also bought in uh, mishla vorsic uh, last uh, week which we mentioned Uh, I think on Monday, uh, and yeah, good times for Racing Club. So I'm interested to see how or if they reinvest uh, this money that they've got. But also, let's let's head right back over uh, to the US because uh, there was the NWSL draft held just yesterday as we record this. Uh, the number one pick was uh, 18-year-old Alyssa Thompson, who uh, goes to Angel City FC. but let's just use this as an, as an opportunity to uh, explain what a draft is because i'm sure many of our listeners might be a bit confused as to how all this works so that's why we've got ben again who can tell us exactly what a draft is in the context of american football yeah so definitely the american expert today for for soccer aren't i shouldn't say football in that sentence because that'd be incorrect for me um but yeah so drafts are They're interesting. They're a way to get players into the league uh, when a league might not have like a youth academy system very well defined. At least that's how, in the context of American soccer, I kind of see it. The MLS still does a draft and is also really going hard into uh, developing their academies. And so, so don't quote me on that. In maybe five years from now, but that's kind of how I see it. You get a bunch of players, typically from uh, universities, that have played. depending on how good they are anywhere from one or two to maybe all four or five years of eligibility uh, in their universities. And you get up to five years of eligibility as an NCAA athlete uh, before uh, you have to leave basically. And then they go into this draft and there's a big pool. So they declare you have a pool of players uh, and you know this ahead of time. It's not like, you know, right the day before the event, you know, ahead of time. So that you as, as the, the team can go in and scout these players. Uh, you also know who might be, Uh, declaring for the draft because they're playing in their their final season of their college. Um, you might also know because they're so good at college, they've already said, yep, I'm not going to be here next year. So I'm going to declare for the draft. And so you're able to scout them and try to build your team. Um, and Alyssa Thompson's interesting because so she had uh, committed to Stanford University uh, at the age of 15, which um, for U.S. sports, that is still young. You might have like 16 or 17-year-olds is when you declare to join uh, uh A, a team's uh, a university's team but she was 15 decided not to go because she, I, i guess she's so good she right out of high school is now going to be a professional player which in the context of u.s soccer is is relatively rare uh and so basically have uh all the teams in each round have a pick uh teams can trade those picks uh to get other players um and so i know trades are, are a very big thing if u.s sports and it's the same thing at w and the nwsl you get uh, player trades that you might give some money and some picks like oh, we'll give you the 2025 or 2025 first round pick so the picks are ordered in essentially the reverse the reverse order of the table right so you have the the top teams pick last and the bottom teams pick first and then they go through the rounds you, you, you go through 
uh, for this draft, you have four rounds. So 48 total players get drafted and then they join their clubs up about now. Right. Thank you very much for that in-depth explanation, Ben. I'm sure in spite of your best efforts, people are still confused, but hopefully some <laughs> stuff has been cleared up. Uh, but yeah, as is the case with some American soccer stuff. So yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, hopefully, but basically get a pool of players that then the teams decide who they want and then you go forward. Yeah. Basically young players getting most of the time, young players getting picked up uh, from what's the university football, as you say. Right. I think that's, that's about uh, it for what we have. I think one last thing I'd like to mention, which isn't a transfer, isn't a match, but it's, it's just a sort of a news development, which is uh, from Australia, where I'm sure most of us are aware of uh, the A-League's uh, developments, because, of course, it all started with uh, the announcement that the grand final is going to be held in Sydney for the next three years, instead of how it usually is, which is the home of uh, the, the Premier, so the side that finished first in the league if they qualify for the final. So, of course, this was a decision which almost all uh, fans and clubs universally opposed. There were protests, and those protests turned sour in the Melbourne Derby between Melbourne Victory and Melbourne City, where a certain section, or and some, not of course not all, but a few, like 20, 30-odd uh, Melbourne Victory fans uh, ended up storming onto the pitch after some stuff happened with flares and uh, the opposition goalkeeper Tom Glover was hit uh, on the head with like a, f- a fire, uh, some some sort of... A bucket. Yeah, it was a bucket. Yeah. It was a, bu- a bucket. Yeah, a bu- sand bucket, yeah, because of the flares or something. Whatever, it, it was it was quite a thing. Um, and then that, of course, that game was abandoned. Um, I think uh, that's been awarded to City. Uh, victory fans have a bunch of sanctions. Well, all fans in Melbourne uh, have some sanctions now, including City. Uh, victory fans have more sanctions, of course, because of uh, whatever happened. And then uh, the club, uh, Melbourne Victory themselves, decided to take some action by uh, state uh, by putting out a statement, which would essentially, which essentially said that they were going to disband OSM, uh, which stands for uh, Original Style Melbourne. Which, which is their active support group. Uh, essentially, you could compare them, I'd suppose, I'd suppose to what uh, most European fans would be known, uh, would know as ultras. But basically, it's, they, they have usually like a stand in most of the stadiums uh, in Australia. Uh, so OSM is uh, Melbourne Victory's uh, active support group. Uh, they're not the first. There have been a number of active support groups in the past who have been uh, disbanded or abandoned for uh, similar, well, not of course not in the same context, but for similar sorts of reasons. Uh, and I mean, at the end of the day, I, I mean, you know, you, you can disband a group, but you can't disband the fans. So they might remake a group under a new name, which is how it's probably been going on for the last few years. But yeah, I think that's just, uh, I wanted to mention that development in Australia, which is that uh, OSM have put out a statement saying that they will not be disbanding. Uh, I mean, I don't know where they go from here because for a start, I don't know how a club can disband a group which they initially didn't even properly recognize. So again, I, I'm not an expert on this. So I think I'll, I'll uh, there's a few great accounts on Twitter uh, on Australian covering Australian football who might have a better idea on this. So I'll tag them as well. Uh, below the tweet about this podcast so be sure to follow them 
if you want to keep uh, yourself posted with this. But yeah, uh, some it, it's basically safe to say that Australian football is not in a great spot after what was an incredible Men's World Cup. And of course, they're hosting uh, the 2023 Women's World Cup. So in what should be a great time for them, there's uh, various uh, difficulties and issues going on there. Uh, but of course... Uh, let's see, let's see how it goes and uh, let's see, let's see where they go from here. But yeah, as I said, that's about it for this episode. Uh, many thanks for tuning in. Of course, many thanks to Ben uh, for your time. And yeah, uh, enjoy the football this weekend. And we'll be back on Monday to recap all the major action. So see you then. Uh, take care. Bye. Bye.